Well, if you would, please turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14. If you're using one of the Bibles that we provide, it's on page 977. Over the past several months, we have been working our way through the book of Ephesians. And today we come to the end of the first half of the book of Ephesians. If you remember when we started, we said that the book of Ephesians is divided into two halves. It's uh, The first half is um, where Paul talks about the indicative, the things that God declares that are true. And the second half is the imperative as a result of the things that God has declared. How then should we live? So next week when we start chapter 4, we will start looking at that imperative section, the second half. But today we will finish with chapter 3. And uh, if you remember from last week, the Apostle Paul started... Um, almost like he was going to start to to give a prayer, but then he had this false start. And then he gave this explanation of why he was um, a minister of the gospel. And But today, we resume that prayer, and we look at this glorious prayer for the saints. So please, if you would, out of love and reverence for God's word, would you stand with me as we read it together? This is Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. And hear now God's word, for God does indeed speak to us through it. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you that you do speak to us through your word, and we we do pray that you would speak to us now through it, that your spirit would allow us to hear of your immense and majestic love for us. We thank you that you're so gracious to us, that you condescend to speak to us in words that we can understand, and yet we are here of these things that are incomparable or uh, surpass knowledge. Oh, Father, would you, by your grace, allow us to know these things and to comprehend them, that we might love you and praise you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Last week, my wife and I celebrated our 24th anniversary, wedding anniversary, and I remember a conversation I had with an older Christian gentleman shortly after we had gotten married. I was lamenting to him, complaining about the fact that I didn't get to see my new wife as much as I had expected uh, with everything that was in our normal schedule of life between getting up and going to work and her studying and coming back and fixing dinner and then trying to get enough sleep to do the whole pattern again the next day, I felt like we didn't really get to see each other that much more after we were married than before we were married. And then uh, this gentleman made a comment that has stuck with me for the past 24 years, and it was shocking to me. And he said, yeah, it's very easy in marriage to be lonely. And it stuck with me for a couple of reasons. One, because it wasn't at all what I was talking about. 
Uh, it wasn't at all what I was concerned about. But secondly, it stuck with me because it was so counterintuitive to everything that I thought or expected from marriage. Because wasn't that the whole intent of marriage? Wasn't that the whole intent of God creating the woman? That God said, it's not good for man to be alone. And he yet created the woman and put them together. And Adam said, at last, this is the one that will complete me. And, and so even from the beginning, there's a sense that God has created us to be dependent on others and a need or a desire, at least, to be known and understood and not just understood, but loved and appreciated. And yet so often being in, in, in every one of our marriages, I think there's an element where we do sense that loneliness where we miss that connection, whether it's just a mere miscommunication of the love that we have for each other, or it is at sometimes an outright rejection of who we are. And ultimately, that relationship between each other that we have, I think, is reflective of the relationship we were intended to have with the Almighty God, this dependent relationship where we long to be known and understood and appreciated, and yet, you know, how often do we feel actually lonely in our spiritual lives as though, you know, God certainly has much better things to do with his time than to be focused on me, or if he does focus on me, it's not with a look of delight, but maybe crossed arms and maybe a, a bit of a, I don't know, a look of scorn or displeasure, a rejection. But friends, our text today tells us that there's anything, nothing could be further from the truth, that God wants us to know how passionately and intimately and perfectly he loves us. It is a, it's a love that is incomparable and unknowable. It, it is so ex- expansive that Paul lacks words to fully describe it. And so if you were going to take one thing away from this text today, I hope it would be this is that the Almighty God, your Creator, the one who made you, the one who rules over all things, your Savior and your Father, loves you with an intimate and perfect and persistent love, and that He wants you to know that. And as we look at this passage, Paul has this in kind of two different blocks. The first is this prayer, this powerful prayer for the saints that they would know this love. And the second is a praise to the Father for his goodness and his grace. So he, he begins, he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. And if you remember last week, at in the beginning of chapter 3, you could look at it right there, he says the same thing. For this reason I, Paul. That's why we know that he was about to break into prayer, because if you look back in chapter 1, at verse 15, right before his last prayer, he said, For this reason I pray for the saints. Paul has all this great revelation which he shares with the church and he declares these things and he says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. And what, what, what is this reason that he has? Well, remember what Paul has said. He has said that God has given him insight into this glorious mystery, what he calls the mystery of Christ. And the mystery is that God has chosen to create one new man 
out of two, that he's reconciling all things in Christ, that he's given us salvation in Christ, and this glory that is beyond our wildest imagination, Paul Paul has received this revelation, and he's received that revelation for giving to the church. And so reflecting on that great and glorious mystery, Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Now, he doesn't say that he's praying, but it's obvious to us that that's exactly what he's talking about when he says, I bow my knees. But maybe it wouldn't be quite as obvious to the original audience because at that time, the normal posture for praying was standing, not bowing. There are lots of different postures in Scripture that people would pray, but bowing, if somebody is bowing, it is a reflection of deep reverence and submission. And so um, Paul is bowing his knees out of reverent and extra submission to the Father, he says. But it's not a He's submitting to the Father in his prayer, but he's, it's not a timid prayer. Because if you remember just a few verses before that, in verse 12, he had declared to us that because of what Christ has done, we have boldness and access with confidence before this Father. And we said that that boldness is a conversational boldness, that God has given us the right through his Son to speak boldly, to ask bold prayers with, without being ashamed or timid as we come before him. And that's exactly what Paul does. Is He's, he's uttering a, a very bold prayer in this section. He's coming before the Father with bold a bold prayer. And he says this. He says, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Which, this is a strange passage to us. A strange little phrase. Some um, translators think that it really should say, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth is named, as though it's referring to all the saints that have ever lived, those who are now died in, with the Lord in heaven, and those who are still on earth. Uh, but a better translation, which is the prevailing view, is that that's not really what he's talking about. What he's saying is that this is the Father from whom every family or clan in heaven and on earth is receives its name, its being and its name. So he's referring to um, spiritual beings and earthly beings, uh, believers and unbelievers, uh, angelic spirits and demonic spirits, rulers and authorities, all things which have their being and have been named by him. Naming is this in scripture, a picture of authority and power. And it's like Paul is appealing to the power and authority of this Father that we have. That this is the Father that, from whom all things exist and have been received their name from him. And so this is a, this is a God that is worth revering and a, a God worth praying to because he has supreme power over all things. And so what does he pray? He says, so I pray to this Father, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened. So this riches of his glory, hopefully this has been something that you've, you've said, well, we've, we've heard about the riches over and over and over in this book. And Paul is, it's constantly on his mind about how God, our God is a rich God, rich in his grace, the incomparable riches which are ours in Christ Jesus, this glorious inheritance in the saints which are ours. 
And now he says the riches of his glory. Like he's the storehouse of treasure, which his father lavishes on his children whom he loves without, uh, with reckless abandon. And so he's praying, Father, according to the riches of your glory, he says that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through your spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So he says to grant you is strengthened with power. So kids, we've got to watch ourselves because when we talk about strength and power, we're usually talking about physical power, like how much, you know, how much weight you can lift or how strong your truck is, something physical. But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about an inner strength. Notice what he says. He says that by the riches of your glory, that you may be, grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So scripture declares that we are both body and soul. We have a spirit. And what here he calls here an inner being or the inner man. And so he's asking that God would strengthen that inner man, that we would have power, or that he says later, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The heart and the inner being are synonymous. So he says, well, that the Spirit would strengthen you so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. The question is, that is that two things or is that one thing? Paul's really giving us two different perspectives on the one same thing because the Holy Spirit is the same Spirit that dwelt in the Lord Jesus Christ. It, we, it's also, the Holy Spirit is also called the Spirit of Christ. So as the Spirit dwells in us, Christ himself dwells in us. As he dwells in our inner being, that is him, Christ, dwelling in our hearts. So the Apostle Paul is praying that God may grant us to be strengthened with power by that Spirit so that Christ would dwell in our hearts. But we've got to watch ourselves, again, because the Apostle Paul is praying for believers, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't think that Paul is saying that you can be a believer without having the Spirit of Christ dwelling within you. Because all of us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and receive him by faith are, as we've said, truly united to Christ. That means that we are in Christ and Christ is in us. And Christ is in us by his spirit. And so there is a fundamental union that we have with the Lord Jesus Christ. He is dwelling in us. So, But he, what he's praying for is that we would have even a greater sense of that power, that that power would be effective, that Christ who is dwelling within us would well up that with that power in a particular way. Look what he says, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So he is praying that we that would have that power to grasp these things. And he starts by saying that you being rooted and grounded in love. So notice he's got an agricultural metaphor and an architectural metaphor. He says that we would be rooted like a plant. Jesus had said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Our roots are in Christ's love. That There's the foundation from which all life comes. There's a root of love, but also a foundation. 
as we learned earlier in the book of Ephesians, that we have been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus as a cornerstone being built into a holy temple. And the, the love that he's speaking of is not our love for each other and not our love for Christ, but it's the love of God to us expressed in the person of Jesus Christ. That, that is our foundation and our source, and our life. We have been rooted and grounded in love. And having been rooted and grounded in love, he prays that we would have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. Notice he's got those four different dimensions. The breadth, the length, the height, and the depth. But he doesn't say what. And so commentators throughout the ages of the church have wrestled with what exactly is Paul talking about? What is, it's the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of what? And there have been lots of different interesting theories put out there, but what's clear to me is, and should be clear to you, is that what Paul has been saying all along is he's been reveling at the wondrous work of God in the person of Jesus Christ, directed at us in the church. And he's just said that at the beginning of chapter 3, how he's been reflecting on this glorious mystery, which is ours, that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known. And I think what, what Paul is, is at is he has stood on a precipice, looking out into the Grand Canyon of God's grace, and the wondrous riches of his majesty and his love directed toward his people. And he falls on his knees and he says, Oh, Father, let them just know the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of your love for them. You've shown it to me and I, I don't have words to describe it. Let them know of this love that is theirs. Because then he follows that up and he says, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Think about that for a second, kids. He's praying that you would know something that can't be known. Or something that's beyond your knowledge. And before that, he's praying that we would comprehend the incomprehensible. Something that our, our minds just can't grasp. Something that's beyond there, like you're, you're reaching for it. It's so glorious and majestic, you just can't put your hands on it. You know, the... Any words that you would use just fail you. And that's the love that he wants you to know. That's the love that he's praying that you would know. But then he concludes it with perhaps the boldest part of it yet. He says, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And that is a prayer that almost seems too far almost seems too far because if you know that phrase to be filled with all the fullness of God there's one other place where Paul writes that and that's in Colossians chapter 1 where he says of the Lord Jesus in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in the person of Jesus Christ but now Paul is praying that we as Christ's body that the fullness of God would be pleased to dwell in us in such intimate union that we would understand his love and have that powerful working through the church. But Paul's 
told us that this was going to be the case. I mean, this is we've gotten indications of this throughout. Earlier in the letter, Paul had said that God is building us into a holy temple, into a building, a dwelling place for him by his spirit. But it, even that metaphor seems lessened than this. But then the Lord Jesus, in his prayer in John chapter 17, prayed this to the Father before he went to the cross. He said, Father, may they all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. A profound unity with the triune God because we have a profound unity with the Son of God, our Savior Jesus Christ. He in us and we in Him so that through Him, God Himself will fill us with His fullness the fullness of his love and his presence and his joy and his power. That's unspeakable and glorious. And friends, if we could grasp that, if we could grasp this wonderful truth, all of it, his profound love, this love that surpasses knowledge, that has no bounds, that God himself is filling us with his fullness, wouldn't that change everything about how we live it seems like it would destroy every idol in our heart because that's what happens in our marriages in our with our kids our parents our friends you name it we form these idols where we are grabbing for something it is a false copy of what god himself has has given to us is already ours And it would free us from grasping for those things which are such false substitutes. But it would also give us boldness and confidence in the way that we live. Because this kind of love from this kind of God who is so powerful, if God is for us, who could be against us? What could we possibly fear that we don't already have? Wouldn't it change our prayer life if we know that this God loves us with this type of intense love that he delights to hear our voice and he delights to answer us and he delights to care for us and he delights to respond. And wouldn't it change the way that we view evangelism? Because if we tasted even just a sip of this glorious draft that we would want other people to taste it as well. We would, we would, we would want them to praise this God along with us. We would want them to sense this immense love for their very own. So he prays this prayer, and then he responds with this wonderful praise. One of my favorite benedictions in all of Scripture, which you may end up hearing later today. And he says this, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And now kids, this first part of it should encourage us incredibly because look what it says. First it says, God is able to do all that we ask. So whatever you ask, your father can do it. And he is saying he is able. But it's more than that. It's not just that all that you ask. It says he's able to do all that you ask or think. Even if you don't pray it, God 
Whatever you can think of, God can do it. And if you realize the love that God has for you, and that he can do things that you think of, that's incredible. But it's more than that. It's not just all that you ask or think. It's more than you ask or think. There are things that you might not ask and you can't even think of that God can do. In fact, he's done more than you can ever ask or think because the gospel itself, no eye saw, no heart imagined what God had prepared for those who he loved. But now he's saying, well, that's true also for you, that he can do more than you ask or think. But it's not just more than that. It says that you can do, he can do abundantly more, but not even abundantly more. The tr- real translation would be exceedingly abundantly more. He's so greater than your thoughts. And his thoughts are not for your harm, but out of immense love for you, he can do exceedingly more than all that you can ask or imagine. And this is the Father that we praise, and this is the Father that we pray to. But notice, it's not a power that is independent of his people. He does these things according to the power at work within us. This fundamental working of God. Remember, the manifold wisdom of God to be displayed through the church. This abundant working of God's power is being done in you and me. In us as the body of Christ. He can do far more abundantly through us, through the church, than all that we could ask or imagine because of his power and his love and his might. And then he says this, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. Now, it would be common for Paul throughout Scripture just to have a benediction where he says, to him be the glory. But this is unique for him to say, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. Remember, Paul has prayed according to the riches of his glory, but now this glory is in the church. He has elevated the church to be one that is honored so that God's glory is manifested, projected, displayed in and through the church and in Christ Jesus. Almost putting them side by side because of the union that God has created where he took the two and made them one in Christ Jesus. So that now his glory is manifested in the church and in Christ Jesus and it's an eternal glory throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. What a wonderful benediction and wonderful ending to this section. Now, two two, uh, additional thoughts that I want to reflect on from this passage, um, just as as way of closing. And the first, I really just want to talk about the nature of prayer because there's such a big prayer in this section, I think there's some instructive things for us to learn from it. So um, the Westminster Shorter Catechism says that prayer is an offering up of our desires to God for things agreeable to his will. And kids, that's important that when we offer up our desires to God, they need to be things agreeable to his will, meaning that they he's going to answer things that he wants to answer that are agreeable to what he's revealed. And that's why Paul has such confidence and boldness as he prays this prayer. He prays that we would know this incomparable 
an immense love of God because God has already revealed to him that he wants us to know this mystery. So oftentimes God reveals in Scripture certain things about uh, what he intends to do. We would say that is his revealed will or things that he wants to happen. And it might be our um, natural inclination to say, well, God is so powerful, he can do whatever he wants. If he says he's going to do it, well, I don't need to pray for that because that's already taken care of. Uh, But that's not true. God actually wants us to pray for things that he has revealed he intends to do. That's exactly what Paul does here. He has been given this mystery to give to the Gentiles, and he turns around and he prays that they would understand this mystery, that they would comprehend the incomprehensible. And so it becomes, um, so when he says, for this reason, he is he is both responding to all the mystery that he had learned, but it's also um, driving the, the intentionality of his prayer. It's the source of his confidence, if you will. And so one point of application for you is to consider the things that God has promised to us in his word and pray that the Lord would bring those things about. Because the second part of, if you remember what I just said, uh, prayer is an offering up of our desires to God for things agreeable to his will. We talked about the second part. The first part is offering up our desires to God. I think part of God's intent is to align our desires with his desires. So Paul is consumed with desire that these Gentiles would know this love. And God is drawing us close to himself and teaching us to love what he loves and to enjoy what he enjoys. And so as we consider what he has said to us and we start thinking about, yes, Father, make this a reality, now all of a sudden it's become our desire. And notice how he's transforming us in that process to be in closer relationship with him. So we ought to pray these things. But as, as often in our case, a lot of times when we pray, we don't know God's will uh, for certain things. Like somebody breaks their leg and we say, Lord, if it, if it be your will, would you please heal this person into full recovery? We need not pray those things when God has revealed to us what his will is. Instead, we ought to pray confidently and boldly and say, Father, you have said that you desire us to know Jesus Christ. Would you reveal him to, to us? Help us to know Give us the power within our being to grasp it. You say that you you love us with this immense love. Give us that understanding. We don't have to ask. We can say, Father, you've already declared it. You you want this because you told us. Um, And so we also see, you know, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And so as we delight ourselves in the things that God delights, he gives us those desires. But also notice, you know, he said, I, I bow before the Father. It's important for us to remember that pr- prayer is a privilege that he gives to his children. He promises to listen, and he promises to respond, but he doesn't promise that to people that are not his children. And so, as children of the Almighty God, adopted in his son, Jesus Christ, remember that privilege that you have. Um, but the second point and perhaps the more important of the two points, is that know for certain that God 
wants you to understand the fullness of his love for you. He wants you to understand this amazing love. Not only has he revealed it to Paul, but he's then caused Paul to have this desire to pray for it. And that's been revealed to us that we would know that this is from the heart of God, that we would know this love. If, that seem, if, if this kind of love directed at you, directed at you, if it seems too good to be true, it's, it's because it is unspeakably good. It's unimaginably good. You know, there, there are certain things in God's creation that blow our mind or can almost make us disoriented when we think about them. You know, think about the, the depth of the ocean or the expanse of the universe or stop and think about eternity, never beginning, never ending. It can blow your mind. And yet, friends, Paul, Paul almost says that those things, even those analogies, are too weak to describe God's love. God's love is greater than that. It's, it's, scripture says that it's, it's deeper than the oceans, and it's more expansive than the universe, and it's more pervasive and perfect and eternal than eternity itself because it's coming from the heart of a God, the, the God that loves you. There, there is no fitting analogy. That's why Paul can't finish his statement, why he's bursting over with, you have to know this love. It, there's no hyperbole. There's no, there's no words to describe it. It is so gentle and so tender to care for you. It is so powerful and so immense to protect you. It is so intimate that he chooses to not just dwell with you, but to dwell inside you and you in him. It is so affectionate that he draws you close to speak to you so that he can speak to you so that he can hear your voice and so that he can dance over you, as it says in the prophets. And it's, he treasures you so much that he sent his son, his beloved son, his treasured, lovely son. Yes, beloved. Yes, for you. Your God loves you. Oh, that you would know the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. He loves you more than you could ever imagine. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, thank you that you reveal these things to us. Oh, we are unworthy of your love, and yet you lavish it upon us because you are love itself. We thank you for your son of love, your son Jesus Christ, and his sacrifice on our behalf. Help us to remain in your love as he called us to do and to enjoy it and to revel in it. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, what fitting, what better way to respond but to sing of the great love of Jesus Christ. Please stand with me as we sing together hymn number 463, Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. <laughs>